Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Hello and welcome to another episode of Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli. Well, today we are going to talk a little bit about real estate strategy. And uh, my guest is a great guy who wrote a book just recently called Start With Strategy. It's all about real estate investing, creating your vision, mapping out what your strategy or strategies are when it comes to investing in the asset class of real estate. And uh, it's a great book. He gets pretty granular in some of the stuff, which is uh, the stuff I like. So you're very crystal clear on what it is you're trying to achieve, how you're going to achieve it, the vehicles and the asset class and the sub asset class that you're going to use in order to get there. And then how involved you want to be like you want to be active, passive, semi passive. I mean, these are all considerations that you need to have. So we'll talk about you know, the uh, real estate investing journey, the strategies, how to choose a market, picking a neighborhood, the importance of your strategy, assessing your risk tolerance, you know, what makes a best market, what makes a best neighborhood. And, and really there's no one answer to that. It's somewhat subjective. It really just depends on what is your vision and what is your strategy and how those play into that. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit about, you know, personal wealth and how to build that and the habits that you should have if you're a real estate investor, especially if you're starting out. So join me today with my guest, Dave Meyer, and uh, let's explore strategy as it relates to real estate investing. Well, it is my honor to have Dave Meyer on the show. Dave has spent his career working in technology and in the technology industry where he started investing in real estate. He has been a rental property investor from Colorado since 2010, and he invests passively nationwide. And it's pretty interesting because we were just talking before we were uh, recording here today. He lives abroad and I'll let him tell you where he lives. It's pretty interesting. In 2016, he took the opportunity to combine his professional passions for real estate and technology, joined Bigger Pockets, where he now serves as the vice president of data and analytics. Sounds like my type of guy. Dave, welcome to the show. Marco, thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, no, it's great to have you on. You have a cool book coming out here very soon. In fact, by the time this airs, if not today, it's already available to, uh, to purchase. We're definitely going to talk about that today, but before we get started, let's talk a little bit about you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and interestingly, where you live. Yeah. Well, thank you for that nice introduction and bio. I started investing in real estate back in 2010, right out of college. Um, I was waiting tables and sort of unsure of what I wanted to do with my life, but a friend of mine started doing it and he made it seem kind of easy um, and seemed kind of fun. And so... I was able to get in my first deal with a bunch of partners. Um, back then, it was a fortuitous time to start trying to buy real estate, and it worked really well. And so over the next couple of years, I started to grow my portfolio, and I just really liked it a lot. And even though I was working in technology, doing a lot of analytics, that kind of stuff, um, I was always kind of pulled to real estate investing. And so when I found out about Bigger Pockets and found out they were hiring for a job that uh, I could uh, qualify for, I applied, got that job, and have been working there for about eight years. So it's been a long time. But about four years ago, my wife, her company got bought by a Dutch company, and we got the opportunity to move to Amsterdam. And so four years ago, we moved abroad and have been living abroad, but still investing in real estate in the US uh, for the last four years. So what's that like living in Amsterdam? 
It's lovely. Uh, it sounds like you've, you've been here briefly, Marco, but it's uh, a great city, super easy to get around, nice people. Um, and lucky for us, uh, most everyone speaks English because we do not speak Dutch. <laughs> That's good stuff. So Dave, it sounds like you've been interested in personal finance and even financial freedom for a while. Where, where did you get a start in your interest of financial freedom and what brought you down the path of investing in real estate? My initial interest in financial independence and really stability, I think came from just experiences growing up. Uh, my parents, both smart, hardworking people and did well for the first part of my life. And then uh, they got divorced, which was really challenging on our family financially. Shortly after that, my dad lost his job for quite a while. Um, and so our family just went through a lot of stress. And I think it had just a big impact on me, the fact that like we were doing fine as a family. And then all of a sudden, it was really quite uh, bad for a while. And so mm -hmm. um, it always made me want financial stability. And I saw firsthand from my dad, who was, you know, recently promoted, then laid off a couple months later, you know, how hard it can be and how random it can be working for other people. And so I sort of have had an entrepreneurial inclination uh, mm -hmm. for a while and also wanted to find ways to create income where I wasn't beholden to what else is going on in the world or what someone else thinks of me. Right. Well, congratulations on your success and sorry to hear about, you know, a situation that kind of led you that way, but you know, it so sounds like it's the silver lining. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Cool. Well, you, you got a new book out. It's called Start With Strategy. Uh, that's the, the headline. And uh, it's I thumbed through it here over the last week. Uh, I didn't finish reading it, but it's very well written. It's uh, It's got a lot of great content, stuff that I talk about on the show all the time. Why did you write this specific book? Because it's your second book. Why did you write this book and who exactly is this for? I think this book is for anyone who is just starting out to trying to figure out how to scale their portfolio. And I wrote it because I, you know, you and I, Marco, both probably believe in real estate wholeheartedly, but there are just so many different ways that you can invest in real estate, whether you're flipping or short-term rentals or long-term rentals, you can do partnerships, you can do syndications. The list is really broad, but unlike the stock market, there's not really a lot of guidance in real estate for like what strategies, what tactics work for what type of investor. And so I wanted to write a book that would help people individualize their real estate portfolio based on their own specific values, their goals, and what they're trying to accomplish from real estate investing mm -hmm. in the first place. Real estate is an amazing vehicle. Uh, it's probably one of the best asset classes to help anyone, the average person, someone who's even not accredited, achieve financial freedom. You know, we both know that it's the most historically proven asset class Decade after decade after decade, it helps people preserve their wealth and create millionaires. You know, how in your mind, how does real estate allow a person to accomplish this? I mean, a lot of people know the answer at a very high level, but how does real estate allow people to achieve financial freedom while at the same time preserving their quality of life? I think real estate is really unique in this ability to provide financial benefit across a couple of different ways. In the book, I call them profit drivers. People call them different things. But I think it's very unique to find an asset class that appreciates, like real estate does, that also offers cash flow, 
You can also earn money from leverage or from amortization. So you get the benefits of bank financing or, or taking out a loan. And there's also great tax benefits. And so you sort of look at this and no one else, no other asset class I know of really offers that same suite of options. And even within those options, what's really cool is that you can sort of customize it. Like, you know, if you're early in your career, maybe you prioritize appreciation and building big chunks of equity. Most people, as they progress through their investing career, focus more towards cash flow so that they can replace their traditional job with cash flow. And, you know, you hear these things, I'm sure you hear this all the time, Marco, people debate what's more important, cash flow or appreciation or tax benefits. But really what's cool about it is there's no right answer. You could just choose for yourself based on your own circumstances. And mm -hmm. that's why real estate, you know, we call it investing, but in my mind, it's really more entrepreneurship. Like you're starting a small business. It's not a super complicated business, but it, you are, you know, starting a business and that comes with a lot of benefits that uh, traditional, like investing in equities or in bonds does not come with. I think you mentioned in the book that real estate investing is different from other endeavors. How, how are you differentiating that? And what are you comparing it to? Because for me, real estate investing is not 100% truly passive. You're always involved to some degree. Uh, you choose that degree based on how involved you want to be, whether you're managing or, um, um, or letting a property manager manage it, whether you're taking a very passive approach versus you know, buying, fixing and flipping or buying, fixing and holding, or are you taking the Burr method? I mean, there's so many variables and levers to play with, but people often compare real estate investing to other asset classes and compare the level of involvement. And to a lesser degree, they compare the potential returns that you get from real estate investing with other so-called passive investments. So in your mind, how do you differentiate real estate investing to different endeavors? To me, I, I think the optionality for for real estate is is much better. Like, like you can't you can't go out an app and buy real estate like you can on Robinhood and go buy equities or <laughs> cryptocurrency or anything like that. And with equities and and stocks and that sort of thing, generally speaking, for most people, literally the best strategy is to buy stuff and never look at it. There's actually a negative, there's all this studies that the more you look at your account, the worse your portfolio does for buying stock, which is really funny. That does not apply to real estate. You cannot just buy something and then never look at it again. That is going to go very poorly for you, yeah. except if you're perhaps totally on one end of that passive spectrum. But the reality is, like you said, Marco, there's a spectrum. You know, on one end, there is highly involved real estate. Like, for example, if you're personally flipping a house, that's basically a full-time job, right? That's going to take you a ton of time. On the other end of the spectrum is probably investing as a limited partner in a syndication or in a fund, because then, you know, you still have to commit some time. You need to find an operator that you trust. You need to, you know, look through financial documents, but mm -hmm. it's pretty passive at that point beyond mm -hmm. your initial due diligence. Um, and then there's everything in between. And so I think that's one of the key decisions investors need to make. It's not just, you know, do you think rentals are cool or flips are cool, but like how much time and mental energy are you willing to commit to your portfolio? Because how you answer that question will really dictate what strategies and tactics are best for you as an investor. So you talk about strategies and the book is called Start With Strategy. It, it makes a very clear point. Let's uh, kind of break this down. What are the various real estate investing strategies for those that really don't know what they are? 
So I think in a lot of people in real estate call strategies, what I call in the book called deal types. So that would be like rental properties, short-term rentals, flipping homes, commercial properties, or um, I also talk about development and lending, which are, I guess, a little less popular among some investors, but also good deal types. But I've, one of the points I try and make when I talk to investors and within the book is that strategy goes beyond just like what type of deal you want. It also goes into these other deal elements that I would consider things like how you finance it. That's a strategic decision that you need to make. Who you own it with is a strategic decision. What type of asset class it is. So even if you're buying a rental property, are you buying a single family? Are you buying a townhouse? Are you buying a four unit or something bigger? Uh, so I think strategy is really sort of broader than just how you're planning to operate your business or what kind of deal you want to do. I think it, you need to look at it holistically to make sure that every decision you make about your deals are sort of aligned with your long-term vision and your overall portfolio balance that you're trying to achieve. And you talk about that. You talk about vision, you're setting your goals, understanding the type of um, involvement that you want. You break this down into kind of like, it's not exactly a grid, but you have a, um, a sheet, if you will, with all these different boxes and you kind of break down the type of investor that you are and that you want to be. Can you talk about that for just a minute? Because I think it's good to conceptualize where you start to create your strategy. Absolutely. I find, you, you probably see this as well, Marco, but I find that a lot of investors rush to acquisition. It is the fun part. Like, Don't get me wrong. But acquisition should probably be the second thing in my mind. I think most investors really need to start with what I call vision, but it's basically just goal setting and trying to identify what you're trying to accomplish as an investor. And if you're familiar, if you've ever had a financial planner or met with a financial planner, this is the first question they're going to ask you, right? Like, when do you want to retire? What do you envision your retirement looking like? How much mm -hmm. risk are you willing to take on? But in real estate, for some reason, we never ask those questions. And I encourage people to ask themselves those questions because that will tell you what to acquire, like what deals to go do. If you just jump into your first deal that you find, it might work out. A lot of times it does. But sometimes you might find, hey, I bought a property that's no longer aligned with my long-term vision. So I think that's a really important first step is just to like take a beat and say, here's what I want, and then work backwards into what I consider the second and third step. So the second step, sort of taking that vision that you have and then aligning it to the types of deals that make sense for you. For me, I, my vision, you know, I have lots of different goals, but part of it is living abroad and investing relatively passively. So I don't do flips. I'm not considering a flip. I'm not considering development. I don't even do large renovation projects. And, you mm -hmm. know, that's just a decision I made. Some people think those are great, but I need to only focus because there are so many different great ways to invest in real estate. I need to ignore all the ones that don't make sense for me because that's a waste of time and just focus on the ones that are aligned with my vision, which personally for me, just as an example, commercial properties, rental properties. And I, I have one short term rental, though I'm not like actively trying to scale that. So that's the second step. And the third step is more tactical. It's what I call portfolio management, which does again include buying more things, but it's also managing your existing assets. 
I found that a lot of times people just want to buy more and more and more and are not thinking as much as perhaps they should about how to better utilize their existing portfolio. Um, should you invest more money into a rehab? Should you sell a property, refinance it, pull some cash out? Those types of questions, I think, are also very strategic in determining how you're going to scale. And so ultimately, the book walks you through these three steps, your vision, your deal design, your portfolio management, and culminates in what I call a, a prep. It's a personalized real estate portfolio. It's basically a business plan. So it just tells you, you know, who you are, what you should be trying to accomplish, and then gives you actionable next steps on like what you should be doing in the next year or so to fulfill your vision. Would you say one aspect of your strategy is more important than another? Is is there one that is the the key focus that kind of helps make or break your success long term? That's a great question. I think the vision is is really important and probably the most overlooked because it sort of keeps you motivated, at least for me, like being crystal clear about what I'm trying to do allows me to make decisions much more easily. You know, I'm sure mm -hmm. You know, I see different opportunities pretty frequently and some of them are really exciting, um, but it allows me to sort of stay grounded and focused. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think the other piece that is super important is just kind of a broad concept of resource allocation and just mm. constantly like adapting this mindset of like, how am I using my money? How am I using my time? And like, is there a better way for me to be doing that? Both within your portfolio and outside your portfolio, you know, like, are you balancing your time and money in a way that makes sense and is like sort of what you're trying to accomplish. And yeah. that's not like just one thing. It's kind of a mindset that you have to start adapting over the course of your investing career. Kind of begs the question of do strategies change? How often might they change? And really how often should you review it and update it? For me, the, the vision part doesn't change all that much. Um, it changes okay. a little bit, you know, my financial goals might change or like my plan for earning, you know, my job might change a little bit, whatever, but that I look at maybe once a year, usually this time of year in the beginning of the year, I'll revisit it and make sure everything's aligned and same with sort of the types of deals I look at because there's only so much like recalibration you should do. It's, you kind of have to write, find the right balance between constantly recalibrating and also like going out and executing what you say you're going to do. But for the portfolio management piece, which is really, you know, I get into it more in the book, but it's really just like studying your portfolio, knowing what's going on within it, mm -hmm. doing some market research. So you understand like what's happening in the market, the macro economy, what's happening in the markets you invest in, what other opportunities may exist for you. Um, that I do at least quarterly um, in a, in a more formal way. But I think, it's kind of most people who do real estate are thinking about it quite a lot. I don't know if, if that rings true for you. I do a, an annual review and then sometimes I'll consider how do I rebalance my, my portfolios, not just real estate, but everything. Should I be taking money off the table here and reinvesting it in another asset type or asset class? So I do that once a year. I, it's not like I'm glued to, you know, the market information or to a screen and I'm constantly reevaluating things, but but yeah, I mean, annually, I think is the minimum and investors should, you know, reevaluate what they're investing in, what they're looking at, where they're putting their capital, et cetera. But, you know, each to their own. You mentioned uh, risk tolerance earlier on. How important is that for 
a person to consider because with real estate, it's a very forgiving asset class, I find. And so you don't need a very sensitive or high risk tolerance. So how important is evaluating your own personal risk tolerance to real estate investing? That's a great point. And I'm glad you said it because real estate, if you have enough time, is a very forgiving asset class. Totally agree. So yeah. I think I recommend to people, if you're considering risk, you're worried about you know the loss of principal or underperformance, to really think mostly uh, about time and your time horizon. If you're investing for two or three years, and you're trying to make a quick buck, real estate might not be the right thing for you. Mm -hmm. There is risk if you're going to hold an asset for a year or two, for sure. But if I, I actually did this whole study as part of the book, if you hold an average rental property for seven years in nominal terms, you, you have an almost zero chance of losing money. And even in, if you hold it for 11 years uh, in real, which is inflation adjusted mm -hmm. terms, you have a near zero chance of losing money. Compare that to the stock market, it takes 20 years to get to that near zero chance of losing money. And so the data does support what you're saying here, Marco, about it being a low risk asset, but every investment has some risk and it really comes back to time. So provided that you're investing for a long enough time horizon for real estate, which I would say is a minimum of five years, then that opens up a ton of different options to you. Like again, you can be investing in rental properties or commercial assets and you know, some of those have more risk than others. You know, certain mm -hmm. types of commercial assets are inherently more risky. Development, for example, is riskier than buying, a, you know, a stabilized asset. But I think most of those are relatively safe. But I think part of figuring out what, what you want to do as an investor is how much risk you want to take on because it informs which types of deals, but also how much leverage you want to take on in a particular deal you know, who you're partnering with, it, it really helps you narrow down, again, the scope of all these options just to ones that make sense for you. Because while most investments in real estate are relatively, you know, offer good risk adjusted returns, there's still a spectrum. Um, and yeah. you sort of need to figure out where you fall on that spectrum. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we're all fans of passive real estate investing. It happens to be the name of my show, Passive Real Estate Investing. Yes. And, um, you know, we all love the idea of passive investments that generate income and create wealth over time. So I'm going to ask you, because I'm curious, what is, do you, first of all, do you have a favorite strategy? I mean, you talk about different strategies. Um, you must have mapped out yours. Uh, what is your favorite strategy? And then I guess within the asset class of real estate, do you have a favorite subclass within real estate? Um, that's a great question. So I personally try to balance my portfolio between two types of real estate. One is more active. Um, so that's how I got started buying rental properties. I right. don't manage any of those, you know, I live in Europe. So I'd still say <laughs> in terms of rental properties, I'm on the more passive side of that. I have full service property managers who run my rental properties and the one short-term rental that I own. Okay. Those to me are sort of like the safe, you know, I'm getting my cash flow. Those are, I have control over them. On the other side of the spectrum, I, for the last few years, have invested almost exclusively in multifamily syndications. And I think that uh, although right now going through a little bit of a, a tumultuous time, I think that um, multifamily has long, good long-term fundamentals. Um, and as long as you're investing with good operators, that it's a really good asset class. 
I also like this option because as I said earlier, I don't personally take on like big renovation projects, but it's a great way to make money in real estate. And so I want to hitch my horse to someone who, you know, a wagon where someone is capable of doing that. So that, and then um, just recently I've invested in some lending funds, which is actually um, a, a good way to earn some cash flow right now. Cause you know, interest rates are high, tends to benefit lenders. Um, and so I think it's a good uh, passive option right now. Very cool. Okay. Good stuff. Yeah. My favorite, just to throw it out there. I love real estate, obviously, but within the real estate family, I like to stick to one to four unit properties. Like I, I clearly mm -hmm. like residential. I don't lean commercial. I don't lean industrial or office or anything like that. I just love residential properties in the one to four space because it's got favorable financing terms. It's the best financing when you can get conventional financing. And even with non-QM loans, they make a whole heck of a lot of sense. Uh, when you could lock in a fixed rate for 30 years and, it, you know, inflation's working in, in your favor to devalue that loan. You know, there's just a lot of benefits to being in the residential space, one to four unit, and everybody needs a place to live. You know, whether you buy or rent, everybody needs a place to live. And with the housing shortage, I've got the wind in my sails. So you and I both know that, you know, it's a great, great place to be right now and has been for a while. And, and the data supports that it'll probably be, you know, in our favor for at least the next eight to 10 years. So, um, yeah. so, you know, I, I just feel that I have everything stacked in my favor by being in the small unit residential space right now. Totally. I mean, that's where I got started. That's where um, I'm looking to buy right now. Um, I think it's a very good asset class. If you, you know, in the book, I talk about this spectrum of risk and reward. And I think um, given the risk level, small multifamily residential rental properties probably have an outsized risk adjusted return compared to a lot of other real estate asset classes. Um, you know, none of them are, you know, like we were talking about, not all are particularly risky, but I do think it, it is sort of a sweet spot for ordinary investors is uh, small multifamily, like you were saying. Yeah, for sure. Shifting gears here, when I invest in real estate. And some of the things that we teach investors and talk about is taking a top-down approach when it comes to real estate investing. Start with the market, not the property. Go big picture. Look at the, you know, the fundamentals in choosing a market and then work your way down to neighborhoods and then ultimately the property. And then of course the management team and the, the rest of your team, which you'll have, you know, beside you through the whole process. But when it comes to picking a market, I find that to be very important. In fact, personally, I think picking the neighborhood is, is the most important part of the whole process. But uh, in picking a market, being important, how do you decide on what the best markets are to invest in? I ask different people this question. I get slightly different answers, and I always find it very interesting as to what they are, how are they underwriting their markets? So I want to ask you this question. Great question. Uh, and, and totally agreed on the importance of, of finding and identifying markets. And uh, even what you said about neighborhoods is, is definitely more important. If you look at data or information on a metro, uh, like an MSA level, there's so many different little pockets of uh, performance that um, doesn't really tell you what you need to know. For me, I, I again, I, I agree with your idea of a top-down. I think the most important things are uh, market fundamentals uh, in, in a macro sense. So I, I start first by looking at non-real estate factors. So population growth, um, which is, of course, important. But I think the more important metric is something known as household formation, 
um, which uh, if you're in real estate, you might be aware of, but it's basically how many household is basically it, people, how many independent groups are living together. And so like if two roommates are living together and they decide to both get an apartment on their own, that is a new household being formed. And so that is actually a better indicator, in my opinion, of demand for both rentals and housing than population growth. So I think household formation is super important. Um, I also really like to see well-diversified economies, strong labor growth, uh, strong wage growth, excuse me, a good labor market. And I do of recently really like to find markets where rent is affordable to people. I think we've seen um, a lot of markets get too expensive and people are either leaving or it limits the upside of future rent growth if the markets are too unaffordable. Uh, and so that's something I personally look for. People have different opinions on that. That's not like an objective uh, fact. So that's sort of what I look at economically. And then I really just start to look at housing market dynamics um, to try and understand where sort of the best value is in an individual market. So where, um, you know, there's investment either by other businesses, by other investors, by homeowners, by the government, um, and trying to find what areas that haven't yet sort of reached their highest and best use are going to, that might in the, in the near future, um, and do that one by looking at data, housing market data, but also by physically going to these places and looking at them. So you may have mentioned this, but out of all of that, what would you say is the most important and the least important factor in determining a market? I probably wouldn't invest in anywhere that doesn't have at least stable population. I wouldn't want to invest in somewhere that has a de declining population. That's um, for me. So I, I think that is that is pretty important. Least important? Um, <laughs> I guess I would say... Uh, I don't know. Um, I hope I didn't stump you, Dave. <laughs> no, I would say like maybe something that's like, like overly focusing on the diversification of the economy. Like I do think it's important that it's diversified, but I wouldn't get yeah. too hung up on that. I think, you know, as long as there's strong job growth in a good yeah. industry, you're fine. Like if you have a business, a company, a town that's really reliant on finance or tech, like that's probably going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So, you know, similar question about neighborhoods, like um, what do you look at when it comes to neighborhoods? How do you underwrite them? And then what is your favorite? I mean, I classify neighborhoods the same as you do like ABC and then, you know, D that I just lovingly call war zones, but yeah, but, like uninhabitable stuff. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. So, uh, so what do you look for? How do you underwrite the neighborhood and what do you, what do you choose? Yeah. So I, I think, you know, unless you're a big institutional investor, like looking for what people would call an A neighborhood limits your upside. So an A neighborhood usually has the best asset classes and commands the highest rent. Yeah. For me, and I think for most investors, looking for something that's either a B or C class neighborhood is usually the best because it offers the best combination of like current livability. It's not a disaster, but um, there is some upside. And usually the trade-off with either a B or C class neighborhood is that either it's a, you know, a B, I, a B would I, is what I would either say is um, a good asset in like a second tier area geographically or um, a 
not so good asset in a in a very good geographic area. And so you sort of have to just make those trade-offs um, for yourself. But I think like if you're talking about data-wise, I like to look at things like the rent-to-price ratio to figure out how much value I'm getting for every dollar I'm investing in terms of cash flow. And I also just look at trends of appreciation where people are moving and where demand is to, to make sure that, you know, if I invest in this area that there's going to, you know, likely demand is going to outpace supply in these areas. So um, that is sort of like perhaps a more advanced thing to look at is not just the demand, but like how much construction is going in, how much units are being developed in that area. Because if you're looking for appreciation, um, that's sort of the key calculus is that demand is going to at least keep pace, if not outpace supply over the long run. So there's a lot of ways to look at that, but that's sort of what it boils down to. I'm curious to know, Dave, you're a data guy. Have you noticed or have you seen data on the appreciation potential? In other words, the upside gains that are found in A-grade neighborhoods when you're earlier in a market cycle compared to a B-class neighborhood. I, anecdotally speaking, have found that a properties in A-class neighborhoods tend to appreciate more and faster when you're in the early stages or the first half of a local real estate market cycle, as you get into later stages where property values have gone up significantly for a number of years, it tends to taper off. And then there's a spillover effect where you see that appreciation fall down into the B-class neighborhoods. Um, And again, I, I don't have data to back this, but I just, I've seen this over the years, the last 20 years anecdotally. I don't have data that supports that either, but it totally makes sense to me. I, I would imagine that too. Like, you know, if Mark, if an economy starts to turn around, people who have the means will probably try to buy in the prime neighborhoods and that will push up mm-hmm. demand in those neighborhoods. And eventually, you know, prices will get to the point where demand is lessened and it will spill out. So I, I think it makes total sense. Yeah. Interesting. You know, I love looking at data like that and reading books and looking at charts and seeing the trends and comparing neighborhood growth in different cycle, stage, stages of, of, of a real estate cycle and whatnot. I mean, I kind of geek out on that kind of stuff, but you know, I don't find a lot of it out there. I mean, there is data and, you know, CoreLogic and other people put this stuff out there, but it's just kind of hard to find at least at a granular level. So I thought I'd ask you, maybe you saw it. It's a great idea. I think that that one of the just universal problems with data in real estate is that no one can agree on what's an A A neighborhood, a B neighborhood, a C neighborhood, and a D neighborhood. It's like inherently subjective. And so we'd have you'd have to come up with some way of standardizing that. Which might everyone might not agree on, but I mean, if a company like CoreLogic or someone just like came up with the definition, it'd probably be pretty good and it would teach us a lot. So please do that if you listen to this. Yeah, I, I actually did that early on. Um, you know, we're at, I don't know how many episodes, like almost getting close to 500 episodes on my show. Wow. Um, but in my first 10 episodes, I actually defined and broke down the different neighborhood grades and, you know, how you differentiate one to another. So I should go back and pull that out and republish it just, uh, you know, just to educate everybody on the difference between A, B, C, and D. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and there are, there are plenty of different options, but... I think, yeah, if you have a good one, I'm all ears. Yeah, for sure. So let's start uh, winding things down here. You know, just another few questions. How, in your opinion, do you uh, best build your personal wealth? I mean, you could you could just off the cuff say, well, just invest in real estate and hold for the long term. But 
if you were to kind of put more color and flesh on that, what would you say? I think that people uh, underestimate, at least in the real estate industry, the benefit of having a good job. Um, you know, I think it's really helpful. We talk a lot about passive, you know, a lot in our industry, people want to quit their jobs. Um, and, you know, that's an admirable goal. But if you're looking to build your portfolio as big as possible, as quickly as possible, one of the best ways to do that is to focus on your career. Um, and not everyone has that option, but if you have the option to try and increase your salary somehow or bring in more money today, that's going to give you more time, more money to invest in your portfolio. It will give you more time for that money to compound. Um, and that's really beneficial. I mean, that's investing 101 is try and invest as much as possible, as early as possible and let it compound. And so um, I know it's tempting and desirable to, to quit your job and, and to retire, but the longer you, it's a trade-off, like the longer you delay that, the higher potential your portfolio has. Yeah. Interesting. So for new investors, what habit do you think new investors should have and work on the most in order to succeed? Uh, I think, you know, I, I put some of this in the book, but I think the the habit of uh, resource optimization or reallocation is is really good. Just coming in this, uh, asking yourself this question regularly, like, am I using my time? Am I using the skills I have? Am I using the capital I have at my disposal to the best possible use? And that could be within your portfolio, it could be in the rest of your life. But um, that question, I think, will really help guide you to the best types of deals and to building a, a portfolio that is really well suited for your long-term goals. Interesting. Okay. All right. And then last question, Dave. So you've been investing for, what, 13 years, probably? Something like that? You started yep. 2010. Yeah. So if you can go back and start over, start your investing journey over, what do you wish you had known back then <laughs> that you know now? Uh, I, I mean, I wish I knew what, uh, how much appreciation would have happened over the last 13 years because <laughs> it was still the uh, Great Recession uh, uh, dip back then. But I think uh, scaling and, and partnerships is probably one of the biggest things. Uh, mm. You know, I did everything myself for a really long time, and I was probably not as aggressive as I could have been, both in in building my portfolio and like enjoying myself. Like I was just, you know, doing a lot of maintenance myself and I could have just maybe made a little less cash flow each month and had a little more time to do other things, whether it's acquiring other properties or just enjoying myself. Um, and so I think that is, it's kind of trite because I think a lot of investors go through that experience where you try and do everything yourself and it's just not a good solution. <laughs> and so uh, I yeah. think uh, if I could have told myself that, 13 years ago, that would have been really beneficial. Yeah, I would have to agree with you, Dave. I, I learned a little too late in life that I really should optimize my time and learn to eliminate the unnecessary stuff and delegate anything and everything I can. You just get so much further faster. But totally, hey, you know, life lessons, right? Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, your book is at out. Least you learned at some point, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Better to learn late than not at all. So well, your book is out. Start with strategy. Uh, great title. Tell our listeners how they can follow you and get more information and find the book. You can find the book at biggerpockets.com slash strategy book. Um, and all the information is there. You can also, it comes with a bunch of different information, a couple of tools. 
that help you plan some of your own personal strategy. Um, there's also a planner that you can buy to sort of build out this business plan. So you can find that all at biggerpockets.com slash strategy book. If you want to connect with me, uh, the best place to do that is on Instagram where I'm at the data deli. The data deli. Cool. Good stuff. All right. Well, I'll put that in the show notes. Dave, it's, it's been great having you on the show. I, I love your material and your content. I think you do a great job and I love that you're a data guy. So that helps. Thanks so much, Marco. I appreciate you having me. Cool. All right. Thanks, Dave. I hope you enjoyed today's show. I think uh, there was a lot of ground that we covered, but there was so much more we could have covered. You know, this is just one of those topics that can go on for hours. And I personally truly enjoy talking about real estate investing strategy and the tactics around it. Anyway, as always, I've mentioned it uh, before, you know, download our free report on our website, The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing. It is, uh, you know, a perennial document. Uh, the principles never change. So it's something that I think uh, you would all benefit from. Uh, that's just on our website. Get your free strategy session with one of our investment counselors. Just contact us, whether through the website or by phone and uh, talk to one of my investment counselors. We can answer your questions and help you either scale your existing portfolio or just get started. You know, turnkey is not just about the real estate. It's not just about the property. Turnkey is also about the experience and everything that goes along with it. And that's, you know, uh, what we provide. We just want you to have a turnkey uh, real estate investing experience that comes with turnkey investment property. So talk to my team about that. If you have any questions about real estate investing, of course, you could talk to my team. But at the same time, you, you can send that over to me, shoot it over to uh, Ask Marco at PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com or just go to the website and uh, submit your questions on the form at PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. If you haven't subscribed to the show, remember to do so. It only takes three seconds. Help us spread the word. Visit us on iTunes. Leave us a rating and review. I greatly appreciate it. And I do read every single one of them. That is it for today. Thank you for listening. I'll see you all on our next episode. Are you looking for a roadmap to financial freedom? If so, we have a solution for you. Narada Real Estate is offering a limited number of free strategy sessions to help you get out of the rat race. Learn how you can create wealth and build monthly passive income. To set up a time with one of our knowledgeable investment counselors, simply go to naradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights and media interviews, please contact the host.